today our scriptures are challenging. They are theology, not story. And so um, there's a really nice little piece, don't read it right now, inside your bulletin about um, the public, or actually it's on the back, about the public reading of scripture. But don't read that right now. Right now what I'd like you to do is listen carefully to the many multisyllabic words, that's an elementary school teacher word, in this uh passage I'm going to read to you from Romans 1. Then the second passage is from John chapter 1, and it is printed in the same version in your bulletin, and you may wish to follow along. This is really important stuff, and it's not the easiest read. So please listen carefully at first, and then follow along. Our scripture readings today speak of God's revelation of himself to us. In the first reading, Paul, writing to the Romans, states that God created us with the capacity to know him, but we chose not to honor that relationship by pursuing our own way separate from God. The second reading, which you can read along with from John's Gospel, tells how God chose to restore our relationship to him. Reading from Romans chapter 1, let him who has ears to hear listen. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. 
It's really a question of academic nature, the question of can we know God, the question that philosophers and theologians like to talk about. It's not always easy to take that and then ask and, and try to proclaim it as the Word of God spoken for us here today. Those who believe we're made in the image of God say we have the capacity to know God. God is spirit and we have been made with a spirit. God created us with a soul and so we're oriented toward God. Others deny this possibility based on the super-rationalistic postmodern age to which we belong. Reformed theologian Karl Barth agreed with this assessment of human limitation that was put forth by philosophers and the scientific method of the last century. He assumed this starting point and said that the knowledge of God does not come from our own religious experience or subjectivity. Rather, it must come from outside ourselves. If we are to know God, it is not self-generated, but rather must be revealed, a revelation of God by God. It's interesting how much we as people are willing to self-disclose when asked a particular question in a particular setting, things we would never tell about ourselves. Someone asks us the question, and here we are saying something that we wish we could take back. I love this story told by um, our member Lloyd Vondermaden, who, was, who is now a retired superior court judge. And he tells of a time when a person was being questioned in the jury box. And he reminds me that, you know, when you're in that setting, you, you feel already a little tense and a little on edge. And, and that was the case of this particular woman who was being asked the very first question as part of the jury selection process. The attorney looked at her and said, is it true you are not married? To which she replied haltingly, yes, it is true. And then there was a pause. I am not married. A little pause. I am single. I am available. <laughs> How would you like to be the next person being asked the question? <laughs> when we consider God's self-disclosure, theologians speak of two kinds of revelation. There is general revelation and special revelation. Do you see why you study theology? To learn words like that, general and special. Um, General revelation was reflected in the passage Leslie read for us from Romans chapter 1. It's hard to hear those words because it's part of a long argument that Paul is making that you have to read from the beginning of chapter 1 through chapter 8 to get to the good news part of it. It's a, it's a lengthy process of an argument. But it speaks of how this self-revelation of God has been made known through what has been made. That is general revelation. And then um, special revelation is reflected in the John passage as the word of God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. By comparing these two kinds of revelation, we can clarify what's meant by each one. 
general revelation is made to everybody, everywhere, as opposed to special revelation, which is made to a particular people at a particular place. Uh, general revelation is made through the natural order, through what is referred to as natural revelation. Um, you'll notice sometimes we'll sing songs that speak of the creation responding to God as creator. That's general revelation, and we're singing that dimension of God. Compare that to something that is supernatural as the incarnation or the inspiration of Scripture, which is why whenever we sing those, those songs of God's creation, I think it's important that we do, we also need to sing a song that speaks of, of Christ and the gospel and how we've been redeemed through his coming. Otherwise, then the gospel's not being proclaimed in our worship. It's being restricted. General revelation is continuous because since the creation of the world, it's gone on, as the psalmist says, day after day and night after night as opposed to special revelation that is complete or final, as in the close of the canon, the scriptures that we have. There's no more books to be uh, added to this book in terms of God's revelation of himself, and there's no more supreme or superior form of revelation than that which we have encountered in the person of Jesus Christ. And finally, General revelation is creational in that it reveals God's glory through creation as opposed to salvific or pertaining to salvation, which is God revealing his grace through Jesus. We are used to hearing terms spoken of um, that speak of God in very conceptual ways, such as the unmoved mover, the prima causa, the ground of being, higher power, um, intelligent designer. But the God of Scripture is not a God defined by abstract thought, but rather is one who defines himself through personal encounter. I am the Lord your God. You don't get any more personal than that. And then God also has revealed himself through his acts in history, and you hear this phrase that goes with that, who's brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who rescued you. I'm the one who caused, who brought about your new life of freedom. God's self-disclosure is personal in Scripture and therefore relational. The dynamic of God's revelation is then characterized uh, has characterized the presentation of God in the Hebrew Scriptures and is the central message of the New Testament. Our faith as Christian is based on the conviction that we truly only know God through Jesus Christ. God's personal and complete disclosure of His nature and purpose is made complete in the incarnation of His Word. Here's how Paul states it in Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God we could not possibly know has been made known to us in Jesus. And then in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We don't have to speculate about God because 
God has been completely manifest. God's character and purpose for this world is made known through Jesus. Any other depiction of God is nothing more than a projection of our own subjectivity or our trivial caricature of God. Now, this does not give us license as Christians to say that all other religions are wrong and then to somehow malign anybody that might follow them. Quite the opposite. The reason we speak of this as an exclusive claim is not that it it bans every, every other claim, but rather it's exclusive in the form of an invitation. This is the way to know God. And we as Christians ought to be inviting rather than rejecting of others. Don McCullough relates a story that I think helps bring this into focus, a story of Lloyd C. Douglas. Some of you may remember or can connect that name with the book called The Robe or perhaps the movie. Uh, he wrote some other novels, but he tells the story of when he was a university student and was living in a, um, a boarding home. And on the first floor lived a retired school teacher, a music teacher. He was infirmed and, and could never, could not leave his apartment. And the two men had a daily ritual. Every day, uh, Lloyd Douglas would come down, bounding down the steps and open the door to the older man's room and say, well, what's the good news today? And to that, the teacher would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of his wheelchair, and hold it up and say, that is middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It is middle C today. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano, across, the piano across the hall is out of tune. And he taps it again. But that, my friend, is middle C. <laughs> there are disturbing sounds in our world that distort life and its reality. There's also this constant reminder that helps us align our lives to God's unchanging truth. McCullough completes the connection by saying this, Jesus Christ is our tuning fork. His pitch defines our tonal reality and sets all other notes in their proper place. Without him, truth and knowledge of God will always be distorted and disordered by us. This alone is the music of heaven. Well, we have to ask ourselves, why is it so difficult for us to believe how the Gospel of John presents God's choice to be revealed as Word made flesh? He likens this story and relates it to how the world began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke a word and it came into existence. In fact, the Hebrew word forward is davar, and it means word in action. It's never a spoken word that it doesn't also have a fulfillment that corresponds to it. The climax of the Genesis story is that we are created in God's image. Humanity is made after the image of God. And John links his narrative 
so that we won't miss this connection. The word that brought the world into being is the word that was with God. It is the word that is God. And now, John says, that word is with us. Is with us. God has entered our world that he has created in order to redirect its destiny and to return it to its rightful place in relationship to him. So that in Jesus Christ, God's holiness is revealed as God having mercy on us, not condemning us, but, but re, restoring and renewing us. God's justice is revealed as healing and making right that which has been broken and hurt for too long, restoring it. God's power is revealed on a cross as being an offering of forgiveness. And God's love is revealed as the elimination of all fear. There is more fear in our world than any of us need. And we ought to be agents that speak to such fear. We of all people should know there is no fear when you have faith in God. As someone, well, I'll just say her name, she won't mind. Betty Benson was leaving the first service, and she paused in greeting me and said, I didn't hear anything. Uh, no, she said, where is be still and know that I am God? And being the black and white thinker that I am, I said, Psalm 46. <laughs> and she looked at me again and said, in your sermon. And I went, oh, I, I didn't make that connection. I'm, so then I'm like, okay, what was she really saying? Was that about me? Was that about the sermon? And then I realized, no, she's just reminding me to speak of that. <laughs> so I went back and read Psalm 46. And here's the startling thing. That comes at the end of that chapter. Do you know what that chapter is all about? It's about a world-facing when waters rage and foam and they're out of control, when the earth shakes and quakes and you're not sure if it'll end, when disaster, when, when there's war and threats of war, when nation rises up against nation. Does that sound familiar? And in the middle comes the refrain that happens at the very end as well. The Lord, all God, the Lord Almighty, the God of Jacob, is with us. Wow! That sounds like John 1. And then the conclusion is, be still and know that I am God. We often think that's this little, quiet little reflection. No, it is the message of people who have faith in a God who has revealed himself as being with us in the midst of chaos and uncertainty so that we can be people of hope instead of people of fear. Any of us know that in self-disclosure, there's always an element of risk. 
Um, and God knew this about the incarnation. I think I've shared with you once before, but just a simple story. Um, in dating someone who um, I seemed to like more than she liked me, there, there came an end to the relationship and I, that I wasn't quite ready for. And so as I pondered what that meant, I, um, I found myself crying out to God in prayer. And, and I said, Lord, it really hurts. And, and I heard this, mm-hmm. And, and, and then it was a little more invitation than that. Tell me what it's like. And I said, well, you have no idea what it's like to be rejected. <laughs> and needless to say, that ended the prayer. And it also ended my self-pity. Um, because I realized God knows more than anyone what it means to be rejected. Offering his love and having it refused. Offering himself, giving his word so that it's available and open and accessible, and then having that word be crucified and judged. The risk of self-disclosure is that you will be misunderstood or misrepresented or perhaps rejected altogether. Love that's spoken can fall on deaf ears or be met with indifference. Or love embodied in the person of Jesus um, can be rejected over and over and over again. As followers of Jesus, we're asked to embody his word and proclaim his gospel with, in words like love and grace and truth and forgiveness and justice. Words that don't just float away after they leave our lips, that neither reflect nor connect with our lived experience, but words that truly matter and affect how we respond to one another. Imagine what it would be like if when someone says something hurtful, we don't leave, but we stay. We don't react and, and, and lash back, but we offer words that say, that, that speak to the reality of the situation and say, that speak of forgiveness, and I value you, and I'm sorry you feel that way about me. I want it to be different. I think if people saw those kinds of words lived out among us, so that people knew what justice looked like when someone's being maligned and you have the courage to go stand with them and say, this person is not alone. I stand with her. So what you're going to say to her, say to me as well. Or I think of that, that person who was being attacked in Portland and two men said, this is not going to happen. You don't get to treat this person with hatred and wield a knife against her. And they lost their lives by doing that. I think Words that, that, that are spoken and lived out by us that resemble the word 
of God incarnate in Jesus would cause our world to take notice. Would say, that's something I can believe in. May it be so for us. Amen.